I'm Katie Brejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. Most people picking up the Bible probably immediately think about the part of sacred scripture that's most familiar. Most familiar because I think it's where most people have spent their time. I don't exactly know if it's where most of the scholarship has occurred, but I wouldn't be surprised if the majority of writing about sacred scripture has taken place on the New Testament. The study, the digging into, how does this relate back to the Old Testament? What does this particular passage mean? How does this relate to my life at this particular moment? It's the New Testament that we hear twice from every Sunday. It's the New Testament that we spend most of our Christian time in because it tells the story of, well, who Christianity is all about, Jesus Christ. And namely the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke being synoptic, John, not the outlier, but I think a lot of people's favorite because of its poetic nature and the eyewitness account that John is able to give. We've got the epistles of St. Paul and others. You have the book of Revelation, wildly confusing at times. We have a podcast about that. Don't worry. A lot of people spend a lot of time studying the New Testament, or as we learned last week from Dr. Glicksman, the New Covenant, the New Covenant that is given to us by way of Jesus Christ coming into this world and dying on the cross. We can quote out all the different passages from all of the different gospels that reiterate this main point. We can tell the parables that are as familiar as children's nursery rhymes. We can list off the pithy phrases from St. Paul that we can read in his letters. You can dig into the miraculous healings that we learn about in the book of Acts. You name it, the Old Testament has it, and then in you name it, the New Testament fulfills it. But still, it it seems like we spend most of our time in the New Testament, maybe because it's most familiar, maybe because the person of Jesus Christ is who we're truly looking to get to know when we read any part of sacred scripture. And so we go to what's most familiar. Well, why we go to what's most familiar and how we do it is today's topic. Namely, what is it within the Gospels that's so appealing to us? What is it within these letters from St. Paul specifically that we can glean not only advice from, but really, well, this is what it looks like to live our Christian faith, even in the 21st century, even though this was written in the earliest days of the life of the church. Sarah Christmeyer is a professor, she is a writer, she is a speaker, she is a scripture scholar, and she's sitting down with us today to dig into why the New Testament not only is important, that was really the question we were trying to answer with the Old Testament episodes, but why is the New Testament so appealing? And how can we get even more out of it? This, of course, is all part of our Ave Explores the Bible series. You can find everything we've created over at AveMariaPress.com. It's all for free. All of our podcasts, all of our video conversations, you name it, we have it. And I hope that you dig into it. You can also use code AEXBIBLE for a good little discount on the Ave Catholic note-taking Bible. Just put it in at checkout and you get free shipping and 20% off. And sign up for all the emails with all of this great content that we've made just for you at AveMariaPress.com. But for now, we hope you sit back and enjoy this conversation with Sarah Christmeyer about the New Testament. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us on the Ave Explorers podcast. Katie, I am so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So where are you coming to us from? I mean, we're doing a, a Zoom call. That's how we record all of them. You're, I'm assuming, in a home office. Where are you and, and what do you do? I am outside of Philadelphia in uh, Kimberton, which is a suburb of Philadelphia. This morning, I was teaching a class to uh, seminarians over at the seminary. So that's one of the things I do. I write 
usually things related to the Catholic faith and mostly centered around scripture and sometimes speak and give retreats and so on. Can I ask what teaching at a seminary is like? I mean, is it, are you the resident mom on campus? How does, how does that dynamic look? Because I think it's awesome that they have a female scholar in their midst. It's awesome. They have, actually, I'm not the only one, but I teach specifically oh, the men who are in what we call the spiritual year. So they live in a whole separate residence to everybody else. And um, I don't live there. So I just go in once a week and I teach them a, an overview of scripture. So we have a great time just digging into the story and uh, finding out how it applies to our lives and getting them ready for all those really academic classes that they'll have after I'm done with them. Yeah. So is this like in the early part of seminary formation? It it depends. If they are joining uh, the college seminary, they do two years first and then they join in. If they come in after having already been through college, this is the first thing they do. Oh, nice. Okay. I love that. I love that they have, you know, like you said, before they dig into the nitty gritty of the academics, a chance to really understand that spiritual side. How did this work arrive in your life? I mean, did you always want to grow up to teach seminarians in scripture? Where did this come from? Uh, I think when you started this particular program, they wanted someone who would be able to come and teach the overview of scripture and somebody asked me to do it. And I was delighted. It has to be one of my favorite jobs, I think, just to be with these young men who are preparing to give their entire lives over to Christ. Mm. You know, it's really sort of have to adjust my teaching a little bit for them. It's a different audience, but it's not too different. You know, they're kind of fresh into the seminary. So it's really enjoyable. I I enjoy it. I, I find it a very great privilege to be able to do it. How did teaching become the name of the game for you? I mean, did you always want to study scripture? Was it always on your heart to want to dig into theology like this? I mean, tell us that origin story. So I always have loved the Bible. I was raised Protestant in a family that was very, very centered on the Bible. And uh, I think really when I got to college, I was struck by the love of God as shown to us throughout the whole story of salvation, the way people keep running away from him and he keeps reaching out in mercy and love and forgiving them. And at some point I realized, you know, that's me. Mm. (laughs) Half the time I'm running away from him. And uh, I was really struck by his love. And then I began to be challenged to explain that to other people. And I've always loved to write. And I thought, you know, I would really like to be able to write to people to explain to them God's love, to be able to open the scriptures to them and help them to understand it. So I didn't do that as a Protestant very much. But when I became Catholic, I felt like I was compelled to do it because Mm -hmm. people didn't really know scripture very well. And so I just found myself thrown into teaching, which I had not thought about doing before, but I was doing that at my parish. Then there weren't very many materials around. So I started writing Bible study materials. So I did a lot. I helped Jeff Cavins building the Great Adventure Bible Timeline program and writing materials for them. And that kind of led to speaking and other writing. So it just all kind of evolved. It's always interesting to hear The Holy Spirit has a hand in all of the podcasts we do. The story of so many people has been, I loved the Bible as a Protestant, and then I started to love it even more as a Catholic. And not only because we have more books, but there's this bigger, almost that sacramental awareness as you're digging into it. We today wanted to chat with you really about the New Testament. And, you know, sometimes as Catholics, I know I even haven't taken scripture classes in college. I avoid the Old Testament at times because it's confusing. And when I start reading the New Testament, I go to 
the same old familiar places. And when I travel and speak, I tell kind of the same stories that I know by heart or that I can interpret in certain ways. And I, you know, I've got punchlines for different things. I guess we'll start off with this very basic question. Why is the New Testament important? I mean, why should a Catholic make it a priority to read the New Testament on a regular basis? That is a, a great question because I always the question I always get is why should we bother with the Old Testament? <laughs> so that's what I'm used to answering. But very simply, I think, particularly when you look at the gospels, they are the heart of the Bible and they mm-hmm. give us the heart of God as demonstrated in Jesus Christ and his love for us. So if we want to know the love of God, if we want to know the love of Jesus Christ, that is the best place to start. Mm-hmm. And in the Gospels in particularly, we get the words of Jesus. We get the story of how he came and gave his life for us, how he died for us, and so on. We get the story then of how other people were affected by his life, you know, moving into Acts and so on. And um, the epistles are just wonderful, challenging. It brings the theology a little bit deeper, but it, the main thing for me about the epistles is that they help us to live like Christ, to be like him. You know, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, what does that mean? How do I live this in my everyday life? So the epistles kind of do that. So the way I look at it, we kind of get our faith in Jesus and the gospels, and then we learn to love through him. And then also how that plays out through the epistles. Mm-hmm. And then with Revelation, that just gives us hope. It gives us hope in the future, hope based on the fact that Jesus has already won. So a tremendous book of hope. So faith, hope, and love, what more reason could you have? To- yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Because I think we put the New Testament into this box of, okay, I'm going to learn historically where Jesus went and what he did. And then, you know, Paul's going to say some inspiring things and you know, I might put some of those quotes on a pillow and throw it on the couch, and then I'm going to avoid revelation. It's too confusing. It's too scary at times. But putting it in that perspective of, no, it's actually like a growth in virtue, and it's a growth in your faith and an understanding of how to love, and it's growth in hope, which we all could use right now. Let's go back to those gospels that you were talking about, that introduction to Jesus. When I was a theology teacher, I would often tell my students, start with the gospel of Luke, because it's in kind of chronological order. And then there's a sequel. So once you get really excited about Luke, you have part two that you can just kind of dig into. How do you approach teaching people the New Testament, specifically with the Gospels and where to begin and how to how to be less intimidated when it comes to specifically that story of Jesus? But when you told your story, it just reminded me, uh, I grew up loving the Old Testament and I kind of had to be made to read the New Testament. So wow. questions are good for me to answer. But I remember when maybe 12 years old, my cousin was just like, why don't you read the New Testament? You should be doing this every day. She actually gave me a little Bible to read. I had one, but hers was better. Mm. So I, I will never forget. She said, make sure you read the New Testament. And I started reading Matthew. Okay, this is cool. Yeah, I know all this stuff already. You know, yeah, Jesus died for me. I get to Mark and I start reading and I was like, whoa, read this before. <laughs> that. And I actually have the Bible where I wrote in the margins, I started cross-referencing, oh, these things happen in Mark and they happened in Matthew. Mm. <laughs> of course, I turned to Luke and started seeing the same thing. It's a little bit embarrassing admitting that, but um, <laughs> it kind of gets to the, the nub of what's a little bit difficult about the Gospels is that they all tell the same story. Why do we need four of them? You know, why can't we just have one story? And I, uh, a lot of people that I knew growing up kind of conflated the whole thing. And it was like, well, here's the gospel. 
And one one of the beautiful things that I learned as a Catholic is that each of these gospels, like a different person painting a portrait of you, you know, they're Mm. all going to capture different things. They all get a different side of Jesus's face almost. And until you get all of them, you don't really get the whole picture. So I love digging into all four of them. And um, that's not what you asked. (laughs) But it's a good, it's a great comment. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So those, I like that, that portrait concept. I'm thinking specifically of those, you know, the four different images that we get of the gospel writers, which at the first glance are like, why are they animals? Like this doesn't, I'm confused by this. You know, what, what's the image that they're painting? Can you kind of take us through each one? I know audience matters, authorship matters, context. I mean, not necessarily a course on them and in the 30 minutes that we have together, but what angle of Jesus's face do we see from each gospel? So first of all, it might help to just say what you were talking about a minute ago. So there's oh, the yeah, of course. image that sometimes you see of there's a four winged creatures, a man and an ox and a lion and an eagle. And they come from Ezekiel, from Ezekiel's um, vision that he had of these four living creatures around the throne of God. And also in Revelation 4, we also see them. But I think it was Irenaeus way back, you know, in the early, early, early centuries, who said that, oh, these represent the four Gospels. And he looks at Matthew, who starts out with the genealogy of Jesus Christ, says, oh, the incarnation, this is man, you know, the winged, the winged man. He looked at Mark and uh, the beginning of Mark, you hear a voice crying out in the wilderness, you know, prepare the way of the Lord. Well, that's the sound of a lion, you know, calling out in the desert or whatever. Also, there's, you know, the idea of royalty in in the Son of God. Luke is represented by an ox. An ox is a sacrificial animal. And we really see Jesus is coming out in his priestly aspect in Luke. But also it begins with Zechariah in the temple. It actually ends with Jesus' blessing. So very sort of sacrifice and priestly images that tie together with the ox. And then John, the rising eagle, because of his magnificent prologue, I imagine, but also just all the symbolism, the way John just kind of lifts you up into heaven. Mm -hmm. So these four, often we'll see these four pictures, basically based on the way those four gospels begin. When we get these opening lines in each gospel that are so vastly different, I mean, you just, you laid it out beautifully. Mark's gospel, I always think of as the Jesus is always on the move. Matthew's gospel, maybe my thinking of Matthew's gospel has been colored a little bit by watching the chosen and the way they portray the Apostle Matthew. And I just, I love the way, I mean, I have such an affinity for it now. And I never really, never really spent a lot of time in the gospel of Matthew. It's the first one. You know, we all know the same story. I'll just spend more time in Luke. One of the questions we've asked every guest on the show so far, and I I think it might be a perfect pivot point. What's your favorite gospel? Is there a favorite part of the gospels or of one specific gospel that you're just always drawn to? Well, first I'll tell you my least favorite. I probably shouldn't admit this. (laughs) So Mark's gospel is very kind of down to business, just the facts. And I really like the embroidery around stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I haven't really read Mark that much. I have just started to gain an appreciation for him. Mary Healy's commentary has a lot of really cool stuff in it that I'm you know, starting to get. But yeah, I have not read so much. Matthew, I love because of all the Old Testament imagery. And mm-hmm. like I said, I love the Old Testament and I like looking into how he shows that Jesus is completing what was in the old. But if I have to pick the one that I like to read the most, it's probably going to be a toss up between Luke and John. John requires a little bit more work. 
but I love Luke's instructions to disciples. Some mm-hmm. of his parables, um, they're just so beautiful. It's so beautifully written, like the Good Samaritan and the story of Mary and Martha and all these kind of favorites. John, though, knocks my socks off. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I could spend an hour or a day in just the first chapter. Yeah. It blows me away. It is just so deep and rich. And then you have, of course, Mary at the foot of the cross, and you've got the bread of life discourse and the Samaritan woman. And there's just so many different things in John that I love. The vine and the branches, Mm -hmm. my favorite, probably part of scripture outside of Psalm 1. I mean, I love that. So I'm going to, I'm going to vote for John. Yeah. You're the, I think the fifth guest all season who has landed on John. I was chatting with my husband right before we started recording. I said, I'm curious to see if it's John again, because it almost kind of proves that it's the eyewitness testimony that is so captivating. I mean, knowing John was there, it tells the story from a completely different angle. Do you think that might play a role in that, in that love? I do for a couple one of the people who actually think Matthew was there also. Mm-hmm. That lends something, you know, so we've got two accounts, but the big advantage. He was really young when he met Jesus. He stuck around to the end. He was one of the inner circle, you know, with Peter, James, and John. So he was in on everything because he was so young when he lived the longest and he wrote this at the end. So he, I think his quality comes, you can just see the benefit of not only having his entire adult life from the beginning of his adult life, even an adult when he met, met him, who knows, all the way to the end, he's very close to Jesus. He's with him at the cross. He's with him at key moments when he's revealed to be the son of all these different things. And then he has his whole life to think about it after that. So he, more than the others in writing, has been able to mull over. I mean, talk about the chosen, that thing where he's thinking about yeah, comparing it, or thinking back to, well, where are you going to, where, where are you going to start? Mary says, and he's going to go back to the beginning, not just the beginning of where he met him, not even just the beginning of the Hebrew nation, the beginning mm-hmm. in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. He had a lifetime to think about that. And I think that all comes into play. The eyewitness, the length of years, the closeness, all of that just makes it a, just an incredibly rich book. Mm-hmm. That idea of thinking about and pondering. I've been making my way back through the Gospels with the Ave Catholic note-taking Bible, you know, jotting down things that are sticking yep. out. I've noticed there's a little bit of that pondering attitude in Paul at times. I used to never really think of Paul as a super reflective guy. I kind of always thought of Paul as like, he's writing a bunch of newsletters that he's sending out to people via you know, Jerusalem MailChimp, and he just needs everybody to get the very basics. But this read through, it's been like, wait a second, he's maybe like sitting in his tent praying and like writing this letter, thinking back fondly on this group of people that he spent some time with. So I, I want to pivot for a moment to talk about the epistles, which are sometimes the almost like the Old Testament of the New Testament. Everybody loves the gospels and people are confused by revelation, but we sometimes gloss over Paul. Tell us a little bit about the epistles, maybe from that scholarly perspective, but also in your own prayer life with scripture. So the epistles are written, well, particularly the ones that you were just mentioned. And let's talk about Paul. So he's writing to churches. 
Mm-hmm. You know, young churches who have just started and they're experiencing particular problems and so on. So like you have them right to Corinth and they're having problems with, you know, some people follow Paul and some people follow Apollos or, you know, who is the leader here? And they have issues with infidelity and they have issues with do we eat meat offered to idols and, you know, all these different things. So he goes through all these practical sessions that maybe they're a little bit removed from us. But here we get to the pondering Paul, as opposed to the pondering he maybe gets in some of the other books. <laughs> but think about like 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's known everywhere as like the great love chapter or whatever. But it's like when it comes down to it, it all comes down to love. And he talks about how important love is in everything. And we can get to know all knowledge. We can be the best scripture scholar in the world. And if we don't have love, it's nothing nothing, nothing. So he does get very practical. In Galatians, you know, that's probably not everybody's favorite book, but it's important to the people of the time because they're dealing with how do you become a a Christian? You know, have to become a Jew first or not? Do we have to be circumcised? Here again, it's all about the heart. It's a circumcision of the heart. It's baptism. Some of the epistles, Ephesians, Colossians, they have gorgeous hymns in them. I think we're reading some of them now in the daily readings, but just hymns to God that if you stop in your prayer life and think about what they're saying about Jesus Christ, they can just transport you and how beautiful they are. Romans, again, some really difficult passages, but also all about what it means to have faith and uh, a lot of practical stuff at the end. So lots of little quick passages that, yeah, you're going to put on your pillow or you're going to stick it on your phone or up on your fridge or whatever that really help you. But Paul's a good leader. He's hard to understand sometimes, but that's okay. He's worth digging into. and <laughs> It's the book that I, I never regret reading them. I just don't do it enough. I don't read scripture enough. I think a lot of Catholics could say that. Like we want to make it a priority. We keep it on our nightstand. We download the apps to listen to it. One of the goals of Ave Explorers has been, okay, let's teach people like what's inside sacred scripture. We're talking to scholars. We're looking at the logistical, the makeups, the authors, some of the content inside. But ultimately, we hope that people become, to use the words that Mark Hart used in the note-taking Bible, to become Bible readers, to become people who make it a priority. So that's kind of the last little pivot I want to take. What is your recommendation for folks who are hearing this, who've heard the whole season, who've looked at all of the content we've made and okay, they're ready. Like they're ready to jump in. They've got their Bible. They've got their trusty highlighter. How do you make this a priority? What do you tell the seminarians when it comes to their spiritual life with scripture? What's the encouragement there? So I get to tell them to read, just read it. Like I get to make the assignment. But actually those three words, it's sort of like when you want to be an athlete, well, just do it, you know, Mm -hmm. just read it. At the most basic, when I was a kid, I learned to read it by just reading it a little bit every night before I went to bed. I didn't understand it. I think as adults coming fresh to scripture, we think we have to understand everything. Mm-hmm. Well, you ain't going to understand it all. You never, <laughs> even if you're a scholar, you know, Peter Kraft reads through and has questions about what he's reading. So you're never going to get there. So that's not the point, though. To me, it's like getting to know my husband, say. Uh, the way I got to know my husband was I hung out with him. Mm. Half the time, I still don't get what he's talking about. (laughs) That's marriage in a nutshell right there. (laughs) Okay. So I 
spend time with them. Sometimes we talk, sometimes we don't talk. Sometimes it makes sense, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we argue. Sometimes I ask many, many, many questions. The word of God is the word of God and it's written to you. So if you can actually spend time, all the good advice people have about making it a habit, you know, pick one thing to read and read through it, just do it Mm -hmm. and pray before you read and ask the Lord to speak to you. And then I guess as you're reading, when you don't understand something, ask the Lord about it. If you don't get an answer and you can't figure it out, maybe write it down in your journal, kind of put it in a parking lot to come back to when you're doing a Bible study, but just go on and read until something grabs you Mm. and to keep up that practice and do it with prayer. And I think, I mean, you have to study and you have to read and pray. You have to do both sort of separately. So I would, of course, say, yes, go through the Bible timeline. Yes, study the Bible, (laughs) you know, do a find a reading plan, whatever, Mm -hmm. but mainly read and pray while you read. And then if you hear a little niggling something, do it. Mm -hmm. If you don't do it, it stays in your head and then it just goes out. You know, the Lord tries to tell you things. Right. Sometimes if you read it enough and things start to get familiar, sometimes the Holy Spirit will bring stuff to your mind that you forgot about and he'll do it. It didn't make any sense when you heard it, but he'll bring it to your mind when you need it. Mm -hmm. He wants to speak to you. Mm -hmm. So give him a chance. Yeah. That's great advice. I mean, that's definitely, I needed to hear that almost just as a reminder to me, like, hey, make it up. You've got 15 minutes. Stop scrolling Instagram. Go do it right now. Sarah, where can we follow you, find your books and learn more about the great work you do? I have a website called comeintotheword.com. Everything is on there. So about my book, Becoming Women of the Word and the different Bible studies are on there my blog, mainly you can find everything there. Great. Well, we'll, we'll add a link to the show notes for sure. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much, Katie. God bless you. You can always tell in a conversation when somebody is a frequent reader of sacred scripture. I mean, it's kind of like when you walk through an airport, you can immediately tell who's a frequent flyer based off of just how they operate. They have everything ready to go. They know how to scan their boarding pass. They know what bag fits in the overhead bin and they sit down rather quickly When it's somebody who reads sacred scripture, you can tell they have a familiarity with the text. They know these stories. They know these people. They know Jesus. I definitely got that from the conversation I had with Sarah. I hope you did as well. And I hope that this has been an inspiration to you to dig into why scripture should become more of a priority in your own life, namely reading the New Testament, the New Covenant, getting to know the person of Jesus Christ by way of digging into the Gospels and unpacking what's in those letters from St. Paul. Later this week, we have a conversation with Jeff Cavins about the book of Revelation and why the book of Revelation is sometimes avoided, but it shouldn't be because of what it can actually show us about heaven and about worship now in the present moment. So I hope you stick around for that conversation coming later this week. I also would love it if you'd go over to AveMariaPress.com, sign up for all of the stuff that we're creating. Our new series on evangelization will kick off later in the fall. We hope that you join us for that. You won't miss any of those updates if you sign up for our weekly Ave Explores emails at AveMariaPress.com and use code AEXBIBLE to get a discount on the Ave Catholic Note-Taking Bible. I think you'd really love that as well. As always, we're so happy you tuned in with us this week, and we'll see you soon with lots more conversations about scripture coming later on. Thanks for listening. We'll be back later this week with Jeff Cavins. 
This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.